Is your faith facing the fire? Are you under the gun? You know, faith is tested in the fires of life. And in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to look at the fiery furnace and our faith facing the fire. And we're going to see a grand display of biblical faith and a great definition of what faith really is. And it's today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get to today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Hebrews 11:33 says, Who by faith, and you guys know that there's all kinds of faith stories chronicled in Hebrews 11. It's called the Great Hall of Faith. And here it says, Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. We're going to see that in a few chapters in Daniel 6. Quenched the power of fire. That's where we're at tonight. If you have the uh, NIV, Hebrews 11.34 said, they quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong. You may want to mark that. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now, if you turn over to Daniel chapter 3, Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews is commenting on some of the events of the book of Daniel, using them as illustrations of faith in circumstances that people that we've read about in Scripture have faced. And you all are on a faith journey tonight. The Bible says we walk, and walk is a synonym for live in the Bible. We live by faith not by sight. So each of us are going to have our giants to face. The walls, that think of the walls of Jericho. Think of uh, Goliath. Think of rivers and seas and armies and obstacles and even fiery furnaces. Faith always has obstacles to overcome. You might want to note that if you haven't noted it before. Faith will always have an obstacle, whether it's a giant, a river, a difficult boss, a, a tough situation, uh, something that you're going through personally, whatever it is. Faith is always going to have an obstacle to overcome. And in this chapter, it's fire. I would say to you that faith, here's the definition, is facing our challenges and fears with confidence in God. Faith is facing our challenges and fears with confidence in God. I am sure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, had some fear. I'm sure that they were probably feeling some, you know, stress and anxiety on the inside, but they were able to face Nebuchadnezzar and the fiery furnace because they had confidence in God. And when you say you have faith, faith is another word for trust. In Greek, the word faith is pistis. We spell it P-I-S-T-I-S. And it literally means to entrust yourself to God. We say that faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. So you can say you have faith, but is your faith in the right object? 
Faith in faith is not going to do it. Faith in yourself can take you only so far. Faith in God will get you to the finish line and get you into eternity. And you have to place faith in the right one. Because if you say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe I can jump off the Empire State Building. All I need is a little pixie dust. I believe, I believe. Well, there's a greater law called gravity, right? So we have to place faith in the all-powerful God. Chapter 3 is all about faith in the book of Daniel. This is a historical um, account with a prophetic um, under. Uh, current, you could say. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 3, 1, the king, he's the king of Babylon. We have run into him already in the book. Made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits. It's width six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, last time we were together, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of that multi-metallic image. And when Daniel was able to interpret the dream, he told the king, you are the head of, remember, you're the head of gold. And so Nebuchadnezzar was told that you're the king of kings and God's given you, you know, um, all these uh, blessings, if you will, and he's given you these abilities. You are the head of gold. And then as he moved down the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you, we had different uh, metals that represented different kingdoms. Well, notice that Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3, verse 1, and this, there's a little time that has passed. It has to be at least enough time from chapter 2, the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, to chapter 3 for him to erect this colossal image of gold. How much time would it take to erect such an image? I don't know for sure. There are some people who believe there's only weeks that have passed. Some people believe months. Some people believe years have passed. Whatever it may be, Nebuchadnezzar has taken the head of gold and decided he's going to make a whole image of gold. I'm the head of gold. Well, okay, but you know what? I think I'd like to make the whole body gold. Because if the head of gold is me and the rest of the body's gold, then the whole thing's about me. And maybe no other kingdoms will take over Babylon and I can rule for the rest of history. Yippee! That's basically what Nebuchadnezzar, I think, was trying to do. You can interpret my dream. And he even gave credit to the God of Daniel, the God of Israel. But you know what? I think I'll make the whole thing of gold. Who needs a head of gold when you can make the whole statue, the whole idol of gold? Maybe an attempt on Nebuchadnezzar's part to debunk Daniel's full interpretation or to say, even though that may be what was said or interpreted, I think I'll try to change history. And there's a lot of people who have tried to do this, fight against God, fight against the revelation of Scripture. The devil himself, of course, does that seemingly every single day. And so in the dream, remember, a final kingdom would come, a stone made without hands, and would smash the entire statue. And Nebuchadnezzar was shook by that and uh, the king may have had a, must have had a change of heart because he must have thought twice about the dream, the interpretation, and he makes this colossal statue. It's interesting to connect this thought uh, with the dimension of the image. 
And this is it. It was six cubits wide and 66, or I'm sorry, 60 cubits high. A couple of sixes there. The number six is prominent in the Bible as the number of man. And of course, in the book of Revelation, the mark of the beast is what? Six, six, six. You could say God's number is seven because he is perfect. If you have the NIV, it says King Nebuchadnezzar, verse one, made an image of gold 90 feet high and nine feet wide. So we get a, a measurement that we can understand. Set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And so he's got a 90 feet high statue, nine feet wide. One writer says large statues like this were typically made of wood, were plated with gold. Either, either way, this would have taken a tremendous amount of gold. The image was most likely standing on a huge pedestal. The plain of Dura was probably six miles southeast of Babylon. It, it is either a place marked by a series of mounds or from a common noun meaning walled enclosure. In either case, uh, this thing was, a, was large and could be seen from a great distance away. So he's made this colossal image Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, verse 2, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Notice that the writer continues to emphasize that Nebuchadnezzar is the one behind this. He pushed for the image. He set up the image. And uh, now he's got it. There are seven classifications of government officials here, which were to pledge their full allegiance to the newly established empire under Nebuchadnezzar as they stood before the image. The image probably represents the god Nabu, N-A-B-U, whose name formed the first element of Nebuchadnezzar's name in Akkadian Nabu Kaduri Usur, meaning Nabu, protect my son, or Nabu, protect my boundary. So Nebuchadnezzar's name connects to this false god. In essence, the image represents Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, his god, and he's saying, protect my future. I'll make the whole thing gold, so hopefully my kingdom can endure forever and no rock made without hands will smash the statue and no kingdoms like the Medo-Persian or Grecian Empire or Rome will ever take over. And so the satraps, verse 3, the governors, the counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. They stood before the image or the idol or figure that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the day of dedication had arrived. I'm sure it was long anticipated. I'm sure posters went out everywhere. I'm sure there were announcements on the 11 o'clock news. The, the dedication of Nebuchadnezzar's statue is tomorrow. Everybody was talking about it. Everyone was there, all the big wigs, all the movers and the shakers, government, politics, you name it, all the spiritual advisors. But interestingly enough, Daniel was not there. Where was Daniel? I don't know. Some people think he was away on state's business because he had been elevated after chapter two. We're just not sure, but he is not there. And so these first three verses, Bible students, just note that Nebuchadnezzar is directly behind the construction of the image, putting it on display. It's all about... 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what do you know about the occult? In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holidays trick-or-treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path. What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Daniel was not there. Where was Daniel? I don't know. Some people think he was away on state's business because he had been elevated after chapter two. We're just not sure, but he is not there. And so these first three verses, Bible students, just note that Nebuchadnezzar is directly behind the construction of the image, putting it on display. It's all about him. Some believe that the image was a representation of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar himself, so that when he asked people to bow to it, he's in essence saying, you bow to me. Many of you know that there's a day coming, according to the book of Revelation, when a man called the beast or the Antichrist will demand the worship of the world. He will say, I elevate myself above every so-called God. And he will call upon the world to bow down and worship him and to take his mark. And the mark we mentioned in Revelation 13 is 666. And if you don't bow or if you refuse to take the mark, he kills you. That's what the book of Revelation teaches. And so this is the prophetic scene. It's historical. It's a historic account that actually happened, but it's also prophetic in the sense that it prefigures something to come. And so here we see this great image. Here we see the people assembled. And so verse 4 says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Now Babylon is a world empire at this point. Remember the multi-metallic image in Daniel 2 represents world-dominant empires. So when you move from Babylon to the Medo-Persian Empire uh, and, and on down to Greece and Rome, you're talking about empires that ruled the world. If you think about empires that dominated the world, you can really go back to Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then you, you get to kind of the idea of the A.D. dates, and then you kind of circle back up with Rome and, and on throughout history. So what you're looking at in this uh, scene is a world-dominant empire that is dominated by war and taken captives and slaves from many peoples, many tribes, many tongues, many nations are in captivity in Babylon, not just Israel. Even though Israel's 70-year Babylonian captivity was prophesied, they are not the only nation in captivity under Babylon. 
So you have to think about it as a dominant world empire with multitudes of slaves from many different tribes, tongues, and nations that are there. They're in some sort of bondage, serving Babylon, serving the king. There they are. Command is given from peoples to peoples, from nations, men of every language. There it goes. Revelation 13, 7 and 8 says, It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Authority over every tribe and people and tongue or language and nation was given to him. That's the Antichrist. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Revelation 13, 7 and 8. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. It would appear that Nebuchadnezzar has decided to set up a world religion wherein you must bow to his God, whether it represents his God or his image or a combination therein, because you are a slave to him and he is the king, and so you're going to bow. And so can you imagine the sight? A huge colossal statue, 90 feet high, all of gold, a sea of humanity strewn across a plain, a band about to start a song, and the command is given, every one of you who serve the king of Babylon, hear this. When the band begins to play, you better hit the dirt. That's the command. And it goes out. In fact, it says, at the moment, verse 5, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Hear ye, hear ye. This is what you are to do the moment you hear the first sound from the band. You are to hit the deck in front of this golden idol. And to read a little bit more of the fine print in the contract. Whoever does not fall down, verse 6, and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. <sighs> Maybe right there they hit a, some of those fans. What are those little fans? Thing. <sighs> now, if you were a person who had been thinking about your religious persuasions recently. Maybe you were an Israelite who knew, you know, I think Exodus 20 says something about, uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no gods before me. Commandment, not suggestion. Commandment number two, you shall not make an idol to bow down to it. This is what you would learn in Sabbath school. Every, every Friday evening and into Saturday, these are the commands. They're the top ten. They're the first two of the top ten. But the fire looks pretty fiery. It's one thing to talk in a Bible study about the bravery of these three young men. It's one thing to say, yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What's their names again? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Yeah, taking a stand. Until the 
fire of the flames are leaping in your pupils. Ever been there before? Ever had a theoretical conversation in a Bible study about, yeah, take a stand for my faith, and then been confronted in a moment where all you felt like you could do is say, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little. <laughs> I mean, you know, when, when this stuff hits real life, it's a little different than a Bible study, right? When your job's on the line, when, when somebody, you know, when you're facing whatever your fire may be tonight, and the command is clear, you are to bow when the band plays. And suddenly the awesome silence is broken with the sound of many instruments. And people, oh, you, you bet they couldn't wait to hit the deck because, look, the devil said it well, skin for skin. All that a man has will he give in exchange for his life, right? The, the idea of human preservation, look, we all want to live. And think of this sea of humanity. The moment the band begins to play, they all hit the deck in waves, almost like dominoes over the plain of Dura. But in the middle of the sea of humanity, three figures, three. How many people do you think were out there? Thousands? I'd say at least thousands. Hundreds of thousands? Possibly. Three probably teenagers won't bow. And they must have stuck out like the proverbial sore thumb, right? Can you imagine? Everybody goes down, and there you are. <laughs> you might want to, why? I want to be five foot five right now <laughs> so I, I could look like I'm kneeling, but I'm standing and everybody goes down. In the middle of the sea humanity, three figures stood up, stood out, stood alone, and stood firmly. They would not bend their knee. Nations, men of every language, fell down, and they worshiped the image, verse 7, of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. As soon as they heard the sound of the band, the people hit the deck. They were men, they were peoples, nations, men of every language. They fell down. They worshiped the golden image that the king had set up. They were obedient. And for this reason, at the time, certain Chaldeans, another way of saying Babylonians, came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They accused the Jews. Verse 8, the word accused means to slander with malicious accusation, to devour literally to accuse somebody piece by piece. We just studied this in, on Sunday in James 4. And they responded and they said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You yourself, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. You can see Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I said. Therefore, there are, actually, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration. We have a little bit of problem with that, but we'll talk about that later. You almost wonder if the 90-foot colossal statue was to set up the demise of the Jewish young men by jealous 
people in the administration who thought, oh, they've risen above us, but there's a way to deal with them because we know they won't bow to idols. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, what do you think about this idea, boss? A 90-foot colossal statue in the midst of the plain of Dura. Everybody gathers, everybody bows, and there you are. We'll fan you, we'll feed you some grapes, king. It'll be a great banner day. What do you think? But behind that, it might have been, you know, if we build this thing, those three guys that just rose above us on the company ladder, we know they won't bow. And guess what? It's, guess what? It's an easy way to get rid of them. Just like in Daniel 6, when the decree goes out that you can't pray to anybody except the king for 30 days. They knew Daniel wouldn't stop praying. These men that you appointed over the administration uh, of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Rack, Shack, and Benny, if you've watched VeggieTales before, how many of you saw the VeggieTales version of this? Oh, it's just must viewing. But anyway, these men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. They don't honor you, king. Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.